0: Welcome back to another episode of Let's Open the Bibles. Gavin is coughing up a lung over there. Hello, Gavin. Hello. Are you okay? I
1: coughed up a lung. Okay. Congratulations. Yes. Is it a boy? No, I'm lungless. Isn't that the uh, isn't that the king in uh, Lord of the Rings? Lungless. <laughs> no, that's Long Live the King. No, it's legless. Legless, lungless. Long Live the King. <laughs> it's legless. I think I don't even know how you pronounce it. I don't. Legless. I, <laughs> I don't think I don't think <laughs> legless, lungless, and I, legless.
0: I, he wasn't a king, I don't think. Either uh, way, I'm sorry for all of that, listener. Um, we're looking at John six. We just
1: what do you call a cow with no legs?
0: Ground beef. Yes. So, listener, we just looked at John six verses ten through uh, fourteen as we discussed the uh, miracle of feeding the five thousand. Now let's look at another miracle. As we look at John 6, uh, we're going to read verses 15 through 21
1: and, uh, Gavin, if you'll lead us in prayer, I will uh, happily read those verses. Heavenly father, thank you, uh, again, that we have this opportunity to come and to read your word, uh, and to be in awe of you, uh, to be enriched by knowing you a little better. Thank you that the King came, uh, that he was willing to die on the cross for our sins, um, that it was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, knowing that uh, accomplishing your will and redeeming for yourself a people was the the plan established before the foundation of the world to unite all things together in him, things in heaven and things on earth, all united in Christ. That is a a beautiful, perfect plan. It is a divine plan. It is your plan, and I thank you for it. Heavenly Father, may we rejoice as we, we read today's text. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Therefore, when Jesus perceived
0: that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening had come, his disciples went out, uh, went down to the sea, got into the boat, and they went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Okay. It's fascinating. Yes. So the reason why Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force was because they recognized that he is truly the prophet who has come to the world, uh, that being in verse 14. So the therefore uh, points back to their understanding him as the prophet who was to
1: come. And it wasn't him on a hunch. This is what they were going to do. Right. Okay. So their understanding of the Messiah was a, a worldly ruler a political, a, a, ruler. a ruler of the secular, the, the, the things of the earth. Right. And he is that, but he's much more. And he was not going to, uh, uh, build his kingdom by oppression or by vote. He, he is going to, uh, build his kingdom by his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. Okay. Yep. And, and, uh, but the other thing is, so, um, I don't know that we want to really get into dispensational premillennialism, historic premillennialism, amillennialism, or postmillennialism. We'll just touch on a few things and then we will move on. Um, have you had anybody ask you if this war in Israel is the sign of the end times?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I've not really several. asked me, but yeah, I've had some people, you know,
1: alluding alluding to that. Okay, and it really does matter your eschatological position, how you understand this war in Israel. Right, it could either be very meaningful and impactful, especially if you are a dispensationalist. Sure, right, or it could be um, not as meaningful and impactful if you are maybe a post millennial. And and within those camps, there are varying views. So maybe even as a post millennial, it's still significant. But um, uh, one of the things I want to say is a hyper dispensationalist. Now, that's someone that's on the very extreme point because there are many dispensationalism is probably the most dominant eschatological position today in the church Ma- made very well known by like Tim LaHaye in the left behind series, John Nelson Darby. Th- there is a, there is a phenomenal podcast. If you want to listen to more about this, the rise and fall of dispensationalism, there is, you know, it's, it's a well thought out, uh, um, interview, I can't remember if it, I can't remember which is the main podcast series that it's on, but it's a, within that podcast series. Maybe it's Cross Politic or something like that, where they interview this guy and he just walks through the rise and fall of dispensationalism. But um, within that view, it's which is the most popular. Uh, there is an extreme view that says that if the Jews would have received Christ correctly, this was incorrectly, if they would have received him correctly, the cross would not have been necessary. Now that is a very extreme view within dispensationalism, right? Yeah, but that, it is that, it, that sounds not right at all. No, that's not right. The cross was never Plan B. But the, and that that's why I want to say. So many dispensationalists right now would be screaming, "That's not what I believe. That's not what I." And I, I would say, I know within every camp that I just listed of the ah-mills, ah, the pre-mills, the post-mills, and the dispensational pre-mills and the historic pre-mills, uh, within those camps, there's a wide variety of views. I mean, just really wide variety of views. But an extreme dispensationalist, the the fringe would say that if Jesus would have been received by the Jews correctly, he would not have had to go to the cross. That was, they were God's people. A hyper dispensationalist would say all the old Testament, just for the Jews, not applicable to the Gentiles at all. Much of the new Testament, not all of it, but, but there's a significant amount of within this camp, this, you know, kind of more extreme fringe camp would say that it's just for the Jews. But if the Jews would have received Jesus correctly, the cross would not have been necessary. So just really quickly, dispensationalism is a hermeneutic system for the Bible, which breaks history down into discrete epochs which um it considers biblical history as divided by God into dispensations defined which are defined periods or ages to which God has allotted distinctive administrative principles classic dispensationalism began with John Nelson Darby it doesn't mean there weren't like some precursors and some allusions to it in other people's views but the, the it really became codified into a system uh, a hermeneutical system a way of understanding eschatology that was done by John Nelson Darby in the early 1820s, um, 30s, somewhere around there is when he he you know codified that. Um, each age of God's plan is thus administered in a certain way, and humanity is held responsible as a steward during that time and that epoch, that dispensation. So that's how we would define dispensationalism. I only put that as a, a, kind of out there to say I do not believe that Jesus was ever to be received as a king in this life either correctly or incorrectly, the cross was always, and and before the foundation of the world, plan A. There is no plan B in God's uh, redemptive history. There is no plan B. It's not as if they got it right the first time, they wouldn't have needed the cross. I do not believe that, not at all, not in any way, shape, or form. And then, and then to go to Israel. In dispensationalism, Israel is really, really important, right? Because it's the promised land. The Jews will receive it. 1840 or 1947, when Israel was reestablished and subsequent years, when Israel, you know, won those wars, that's really important in dispensationalism. And I want to say this, that's not the view that I hold. So let's just come back to some certain things that we can say about the war that's going on in Israel right now. One, anybody without Christ will perish. So there are absolutely Messianic Jews. And we celebrate that. But there are many Jewish people that don't know Christ. And with love and affection, and with no amount of condescending attitude or tone in my voice, I want to say trust in Christ to every single person, Jew and Gentile alike. So if if there is a Jewish person in Israel that does not know Christ, I do not think there are two ways to heaven. I think there's only one, which is trusting in Christ Jesus as your only hope in this life and life to come. It's why Romans nine, Paul says that he had unceasing anguish in his heart for his countrymen, his kinsmen in the flesh, because those Hebrew, um, relatives, biological relatives did not know Christ. And without Christ, they die and go to hell. And so he says he would be cut off in a curse for their sake. All right. Two, we need to love all people and love does not mean that the death penalty is off the table or that there is not something uh, cons- that we would call a just war. But that, And so part of that loving all people may mean justice in the form of capital punishment or death. And yet, all people everywhere we would call to repentance. We are called to love all people with benevolence and beneficence. We are called to love all people with benevolence, goodwill, and beneficence, good actions towards all people everywhere. And yet, sometimes that means. so I'm not saying that the death penalty or the just war is off the table, but I'm saying that the gospel should be proclaimed to all people everywhere. Are yeah. you disagree with any of this? I, uh, I'm, okay. No, I'm good with what you've said. Okay, so I just wanted to say that Jesus could not be established as king. Whatever eschatological view that you have, I do not believe that at all, that Jesus was not going to be established as king and the cross was going to be avoided. That's not, that's not. And then, two, how do we view the war in Israel? It is tragic. Um, you know, there are horrific things done. As a Christian, we can look at evil and call it evil, we can look at good and call it good. Evil is that which is not of God, good is that which is of God. Good is always a value-laden word relative to God himself. All right, anything you want to add to that, anything?
0: No, I think, you know, and somebody was asking me the other day about, you know, Jewish people, and I said, well, you have believing Jews, Messianic Jews, right. and non-believing Jews. Right. You, you have some Jews that are Jewish by birth, not by faith, you know, and, and you you see that even in Catholicism you you have a lot of people will tell you well I'm Catholic well they're they're not Orthodox they're not practicing they're right. just they're Catholic by association
1: right well that's in every every faith every right. religion has and that Muslims. was my point yeah
0: you have that even in the in the Muslim faith
1: right sure yeah well and and here's the thing uh, that I would say when people say you know. Abraham was told, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. And there are people that say, listen, unequivocally, we stand behind Israel. We stand with Israel. I mean, no matter what, and I say, here's the problem. Jesus would woe to you, Hebrew men, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees. It wasn't as if just because you claim Abraham is your father, because Jesus says, hey, God could raise rocks up, you know, well, Abraham's our father. God could raise rocks up to praise him, right? You think you're special because you're a descendant of Abraham. no. Before Abraham was, I am, right? So so again, um, just because you are biologically an Israelite, biologically Jewish, there should be no more or less offense towards you. It should be, do you know Jesus? And then with love for all people everywhere, we proclaim the glorious gospel that is able to make one wise unto salvation. Because Jesus would say to the Pharisees and Scribes, Sadducees, John the baptizer said, well, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Why are you here? You brood of vipers. Those were to Jewish men. So it cannot mean that unequivocally we stand by Israelites or Jewish people. And again, I don't want to add to uh, any condemnation. There's no hatred there. There's no judgment there. There's just good is defined as of God. Saved is described and defined as not being biologically Israel. That's as clear as can be in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But those who trust in Christ, those are the children of the promise. Those are the true Israel. For not all of Israel is Israel. The true Israel are those that are trusting in Christ Jesus.
0: Yeah, including those of us who have been grafted in.
1: Right. And we are the true Israel. Yeah. We are one not, not one and a half. Like it's not the Israelites that are the messianic Israelites and then us the half. No, we are one tree. We are one nation. We have been we were separated from the Commonwealth. Now we are the Commonwealth. Together with every Messianic Jew, everybody that believes. All right. So, so I w- I wouldn't have gone down that that with this, but since you have,
0: okay. Uh, where do you stand on uh, the uh, this country's support or lack of when that happens of Israel Does it bother you one way or the other when we uh, back Israel or when we don't?
1: So I am um, so not as concerned with biological Israel. I am concerned that we that that we have lost an anchor on what is right and what is wrong. So, we no longer so we have now instead of right and wrong we have subjugated and uh, you know we have the oppressed and the oppressors which is not even well defined it's not even it's not even accurately defined so i don't mind saying like listen if there are people that are being oppressed we should stand up against that i mean the the minor prophets talk about that but we have defined things in ways that are so unbiblical, and we we rally around things that are not of God. And, we, and there are people that are so ill-informed, illogical, because that's one of the things, even if, and I cringe to say this, even if you would leave God out of the equation, what is going on in college campuses today is absolute stupidity. It's ill-informed, misguided stupidity. And people say the most outlandish things. And, and here's how I know it, because if you press back just a little, they fall apart. But it's the mob mentality, they get around and they have no idea what they're talking about. They're unreasonable, they're illogical, they're not well thought out, but they have, they have taken on this subjective, pluralistic, um, whatever we think is right is right, you know, it's it's like going on to the college campus that that if you you can watch this online where some guy goes on and it's edited fine. I understand it's edited, but even that anybody would say this on a college campus. If I said I was a woman, am I a woman? Well, sure, you're a woman. If I said I was, you know, this guy's like five eleven. If I said I was six four, could I be six four? And they are said, well, I guess. If I said I was Chinese, could I be Chinese? Uh, yeah. I mean, what in the world lunacy is that? Anyways, so you have that type of thinking coupled with you know um, misguided, bad teaching and bad teachers, and you put that together, and it really is foolishness. And and if I may be so crass, it's just stupid. So, um, what bothers me most about Israel is we've lost the ability to be radical truth seekers. We've lost the ability to think biblically. We've lost the understanding that good is not a, a relative term. Uh, it's relative only in that. It's relative to God. God is good and defines what is good. What is good is of God. Does that make sense? So, so like when you're out there going, well, I get to define what good is good can be. If you look at me wrong or you call, you misgender me, I can kill you. That's good. I'm going, how, how do you even define that? Good. I mean, that's not even an ethical system that's ever been discussed before. That's not utilitarianism. That's not deontological ethics. That's not the, the divine command theory. That's nothing that's ever been defined before as a, as a good ethical system. And there are college kids out there today going like, listen, if you misgender me, I can, I can, stab, I can say that I feel unsafe or I can you know, attack you. What? That's foolishness. So again, let me say, what do I think is wrong about what's going on in Israel? It's not necessarily that um, Israel does everything right. It's not necessarily that Israel is um, biological. Israel—they are the children of the promise. I don't believe that. Um, I th- you know, not all of Israel is Israel, and that's the distinction made in Romans nine. You don't have to get upset with me; just read it. But what bothers me is that we have no foundation of what right and wrong is in America today. Not, not, not a an established ethical system, and certainly not, thus saith the Lord, and that is my ethical system. The Bible says so, is, is my ethical system. And if someone goes to the radical extreme, well, the Bible says that if you're disobedient to your parents, you should be stoned to death. We can talk about that. I don't mind. I, we, 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 you know, Do I think that's how it should? Just so it said, do I think that's what we should do today? No. But I work through that biblically, not huh. just arbitrarily. Didn't you one time have three children and one disobeyed? Well, we have four now, so we cut off toes, is what I say. Like, oh, is that what you do? Yeah. If, if I go, if I ask my kids right now, what do we do when we don't listen? You cut off toes, and then and you know, there's a you know feigned gasp, <gasps> and and then my kids will say, but they grow back, you know. So yeah, yeah. So tell us, explain why that's relevant to the text. Um, because when people get to this text, they say, listen, there's some there. There's an effort to make Jesus king, and he could have been received. No, no. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that they misunderstood, even in that day, what Jesus was claiming. First of all, he's not claiming to be a king of a small kingdom. He is God among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So even their attempts to make him king, they misunderstand what, when they call him the prophet, they misunderstand what kind of king he is. His kingdom is not of this world. He has a kingdom that will never end. He, has a king, he is king over all of creation, not just even the earth. Not, it's not even just of, of Israel. It's not even just of Rome, the Roman Empire. It's not even every single uh, square inch of this planet. He's king of all. And so it's just a really misguided attempt to make him, a, a, they, they think they're elevating him when they're actually pulling him down in, condesc- in condescension. And then they misunderstand why he is there. He's there not to, to overthrow Rome. He's there to provide a way of escape to, for them to, to um, what is it? Justification is that you have been set free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is that you're being set free from the power of sin. Glorification is that you will be set free from the presence of sin. He is accomplishing all of those things at the cross. They don't understand that. He is overthrowing not just Rome. He's overthrowing the, the condemnation of the world. The powers and principalities. Yes, of darkness. Absolutely. Good, good, great, wonderful. So, so I, I love this that, you know, they see a carpenter and they think they're doing some great thing by elevating him to some, you know, kingship. They think they're doing, a, you know, almost a favor. Wow, yeah. let's lift them up. And they're, and it's this great pulling down of who he is, which is impossible, but that's the attempt. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay.
0: Well, uh, thank you. I think, <laughs> I think you've, you've given us all a, a lot to think about. I don't think anybody saw that coming from verse 15. No, Uh, I don't think they did. (laughs) But uh, me, count me among them. Uh, But, listener, thanks for uh, enduring the ride. I invite you to uh, consider these things, and uh, we look forward to catching back up with you in the next episode. Until then, God bless.